You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Dear Father, we bow before you here this morning in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the rich living word of God as I come to teach today. I do not depend on my own human abilities to teach, but I'm trusting you. Therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from our heart within. I thank you for a supernatural recall of the scripture. I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power and love to each person's mind and the sound of my voice, bringing understanding and removing confusion, and that your word will enter every heart and the sound of my voice, bringing faith, removing all fear, for which we give you alone all the praise, honor and glory, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You better be seated. Our message today is titled, Grace for Financial Increase. Grace for Financial Increase. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, please. In your Bible. Always better to have your own Bible with you. That way you can make sure that I'm teaching the Word of God. Number one. Number two, you'll find your faith will grow stronger. Your Christian life will be stronger. And you'll remember more scriptures. That's just how it works. Hard copy in your hand. And write in your Bible. If you can't do that, throw it away get a good one. 2 Corinthians 8 9, right? Okay. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now right there you can underline or circle the word grace. This is about grace. This verse is about the grace of God. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor on the cross, that you through his poverty might become rich. That word rich in the Greek is a full financial Supply, full financial provision. That's what it means in the Greek. So we see that this is about the grace of God, that he purchased financial provision for us on the cross. Now we know he also purchased salvation, right? He took our death and brought us life. He took our sin and gave us righteousness. He took our sickness and gave us health. All that on the cross. And he also took our poverty and gave us financial provision. Can you see that? Also gave us financial provision. And this is the grace of God. The grace of God. Not of works. The Lord Jesus died naked on the cross. With no earthly possessions. He took our poverty so we could have financial provision. So financial provision and blessing is the grace of God at work in our lives. Say that. Financial provision is the grace of God at work in my life. Throughout the scriptures, we see the love of God for his people. And to imagine that the Father God sent his only son to the earth and punished him for my sin, and allowed him to take my death, my poverty, my sickness, and suffer all that so we could have God's blessing. 
That's what he did to prove how much he loved us. Now, too many Christians are struggling in their own strength to meet their financial needs. That's why they get stressed out. They're not resting. God wants to meet our financial need by resting in his grace and in his favor. So that God wants me to rest in his grace and in his favor to succeed financially. It, not, it should not be a struggle. Today we're going to learn how to do that. We're going to learn how to do this today. Now at the beginning of July 2010, I was led by the Spirit of God to call somebody who was in terrible financial stress. July 2010. Their business closed down back in November 2009. This person was in this church down in San Antonio. Their business closed down in 2009. They had earned no money for approximately eight months. They were living on prescription drugs to help them cope with the stress. They had all sorts of physical ailments due to stress. Now, I asked the lady when I was on the phone with her, are you using your faith for a new job? And she said, yes, I am. I'm confessing I have a new job. Now, in the discussion, I could see clearly that she was overwhelmed with fear. So that statement, I have a new job, wasn't going anywhere. It was hitting the ceiling. Because fear and faith can't work at the same time. If we have fear and faith in our heart, you can't have fear and faith. Either have fear or faith in the heart. And the antidote for fear is faith. Where does it come from? The Word. So when we feed on the Word, faith comes, fear leaves. That's how that works. But she obviously was not doing that. I could tell she's not using her faith. She's overcome by fear. So I asked her to write down a specific confession that I gave her. I gave her a specific confession. I said, write this confession down. And I'd like you to say this over and over, and then stop and praise God. And thank God. Praise God. And then I said, now I want you to repeat that whole cycle several times a day. And remember to do it. Don't forget to do it several times a day. Then I told her, if you'll do that for seven days, you'll have a new job within seven days. Well, she did it. And within five days, she had a job earning $10,000 a month. Now, that's not too shabby 13 years ago for a lady to earn $10,000 a month. That'd be equivalent to about 14000 today, right? Now, how many of you would like to know what the confession was that I gave the lady? I thought you might be interested. So I'm going to tell you today. I'm going to tell you this morning. But before I do, there's something else you need to know before I tell you that the confession is, okay? So let's go to Mark chapter 14, please. We're going to read about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. 
Mark 14, 22. And I'm choosing the New Living Translation here. Mark 14, 22. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And Jesus said to them, This is my blood poured out for many, sealing the new covenant between God and his people. So this wine represents my blood, and my blood will be shed to seal the new covenant between God and his people. Now, in case you don't know it, God shed his own blood. You'll see that in Acts 20, 28. Write that down. It says, it was the blood of God that was shed. It was divine blood. That blood is still on the mercy seat in the throne room in heaven right now. So God gave his own blood when he gave his life on the cross in order to give humanity the opportunity of entering a covenant with him. So we have the opportunity now of entering a covenant with God. Now we all know that when you enter a blood covenant, total giving is, is done on both sides. Like when Jonathan, if you've read my book on the covenant, I proved in there that Jonathan and David entered a covenant and when they did, they cut their wrists, they rubbed their wrists together so the blood would mix, indicating the two lives become one. And then they shared all their assets and all their liabilities. And he, one, the one's friends became the other's friends, and the one's enemies became the other's enemies. The two lives became one life. That is a blood covenant. That's what God has done with us entered a blood covenant with us. And for us to enter that covenant, God requires us to give our lives completely to him. That is the salvation message, actually. The salvation message, family, is not just to accept Jesus as our Savior, but to make him Lord. Romans 10, verse 9. We make him Lord, which means not my will, but thy will be done. Are you tracking me, church? Isn't that what Jesus said to the Father? Not my will, but your will be done. In fact, Jesus also said, I do nothing lest the Father show me first. And Jesus also said, I say nothing lest the Father tell me first. So he was totally committed to the Father's will. Right? And likewise, he entered a covenant with us and he wants us to live like that for him. That's what it means to be saved. That's the salvation message. It's a covenant relationship. Amen? Said that the salvation message salvation. is a covenant relationship. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that everything that God is and owns and can do becomes ours. His righteousness becomes ours. His life becomes ours. His faith is ours, the faith of God. His ability becomes ours. His strength becomes ours. The Lord is the strength of our life. So everything that God is and can do becomes ours. That's, we won. We had nothing but debt to give him in this relationship. That's all we had. 
That's why the Greek word for covenant is diatheke, which means it's a one-sided covenant. Although we both are joined together, and now, see, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says, you are the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.30, you are the body of Christ. You are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that you are one spirit with the Lord. Can you see how much you've inherited in this covenant relationship? Now then, that's covenant. That's the salvation message. We don't come to the altar except Jesus. We come to the altar to give our life away. Are we catching on? So, the moment we accept Christ as Savior and give and make Him Lord of our lives, we are responsible from that moment to live for Him. Allow Him, actually, to live His life through us. We don't live for Him. We let Him live His life through us. There's a difference. Are you tracking me, church? This is too much for us to handle. Are you okay with that? It's tough for the cross, for the tough for the flesh to go on the cross, isn't it? Right? Amen. Say ouch if you can't say amen. But it's tough for the flesh to be crucified. And you know, you can't crucify yourself. It's not going to work that way. You can't. You can't knock the nails in. Let the Holy Ghost do it. Amen. All right, now then. So our responsibility then is to allow Christ to live his life through us. We are to become a glove on his hand. No wonder Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's not I that liveth, but Christ is alive in me. He said that. Paul said, I'm not alive. I'm crucified with Christ. So daily, daily, Paul said, today thy will be done in my life. That's what he means. Now, Jesus was willing to be nailed to a cross for you and me. And now it's our turn. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 38. Let's go there. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. How's that? If, you're not, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. So we have to live the crucified life. Amen. God doesn't want me to die physically. He wants me to live for him. We are to present our body a living sacrifice. Romans 12. Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 1. We are not to, um, we are not to die physically. We are to be a living sacrifice. Amen? All right. So, Jesus said, he is the author of our salvation. He decides to, who gets to go to heaven who doesn't. He said, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. And then he goes on to say, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. You know that song, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra? That's bad news. That's exactly what Jesus said we're not to do. 
I have to give up my life to live for Jesus. Otherwise, I can't be saved. He is the one that takes us to heaven or not. And he said that. Amen. Now, Jesus also made some amazing statements. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Do you not? This is wonderful news, family, because we get to be blessed with everything that God has. Everything. Right? He said, unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you have no life in you. Nobody has ever made statements like that except Jesus. And no one rose from the dead except Jesus. He also said this, or the Bible said this, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So they don't belong to me, I belong to God. I'm bought at a price. So Jesus gave all for this covenant. And it's when we do the same that we see God move. This grace we read about here in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Let's read it again. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Say this, when I give my life completely to God, then all of heaven opens up to me. And God moves mightily in my life by His grace and favor. Nothing can stop me from succeeding. When God's favor touches a life, nothing can stop that person from succeeding. We need to understand that we are walking in this favor. And this grace. We need to have a revelation of that fact. That you've given your life to God. He owns you and he's blessing you and working through you. And he will protect you. We need to understand that it's the grace and favor of God working all the time in our lives. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Now, all that happened for us on the cross. The covenant transaction took place on the cross. That's how we enter this grace and favor through the covenant. Say that with me. When I enter covenant, grace and favor opens up abundantly in my life. Praise the Lord. Now, how do I know that I've given my life to Jesus? Here is a test for us. The tithe is our test. The 10% tithe is our test. It can tell right away whether we've given all to God or not. To see if I'm participating in the covenant of grace. If I can't tithe 10%, then how can I say I've given my life to Jesus? Are you with me? How can I say it? Now, let's go back to Elijah's time in 1 Kings 17. Because of sin and Satan worship, there was a great drought in the land of Egypt, a uh, land of uh, Israel. And Elijah went to King Ahab and he says, It's not going to rain for three years or until I say so because of all the sin of King Ahab. All right, let's see what happens in the story. People and animals are starving. There's no water, no food anywhere. Open your Bible to 1 Kings 17, verse 8, please. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. 
and see God move mightily here during this drought. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, "Go, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour and a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm, going, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that I may eat it and die. Look at that confession. I'm just gathering sticks to cook our last meal, and then my son and I will eat it and we will die. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Don't eat that food, that one meal you've made. Let me eat it. And if you'll do that, and bring it to me afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, Elijah said, do not fear. Where does fear come from? 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that fear is a spirit, so that God has not given me a spirit of fear, a demon of fear. Now, why did Elijah tell her not to be afraid? The answer is simple, because fear would stop her from giving to God. Fear is the number one reason people don't give to God. They are afraid that God won't meet their need. They are afraid that they won't have enough. If they give to God's work, they won't have enough for their own needs. Uh, verse 14 says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, all this woman had to go on was the word of a stranger who claimed to be a prophet of God. And I'm sure if the modern media were there and heard this conversation, they would have told this woman, hey, woman, can't you see he's trying to con you out of your last meal? That's what the media would have said, I guess. So what would have happened if she had not given that last meal? If she had not done it, she and her son would have died, as she said, right? And God would have had to provide for Elijah some other way. Now, this woman was prepared to give her very best to God. She was giving away all that she had. She was giving away her very life, as far as she's concerned, my last meal. That family is a great step of faith. That's a covenant step and God supernaturally provided for her. She entered covenant when she gave all she had 
her life to God in that one act. Amen? And the drought and recession did not stop God from providing for her. Did not stop God from providing for her. Say this with me. A drought, a recession, a financial depression does not stop God from being God. Say this again. A drought, a recession, a financial depression cannot stop God from being God. So there's nothing can stop God from being God. Is that true? Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now it does not stop God from producing supernatural provision. God's principles work in good times and bad times. No matter what comes in the future, family of God, never stop giving into God's work. No matter what comes our way in the future in America or around the world, never stop giving to God's work, just like that woman did, gave her last meal. Because God will open up the windows of heaven and he'll keep the grace and the favor flowing and financial provision will keep coming into our lives. The only way God could save her, save her son and keep the prophet of God and help the prophet of God was for her to be willing to give into God's work. When she gave that last meal, she stepped into covenant with God and the grace of God's provision. Now, some years ago, one of our pastors here in this very church asked me whether a widow woman in this church should tithe. She had two little kids, she was earning a very small salary, and she was struggling. And she asked the pastor, uh, should I tithe? These are my financial conditions. And she was in, in a bad place financially. So immediately when I heard her story, I was going to tell the pastor, no, she doesn't have to tithe. God understands. But as I said, I was going to say that, I remembered this story that we just read about, this woman who gave her last meal to Elijah in 1 Kings 17. And I said to her, uh, the pastor, I said, no, she's going to have to tithe because God will be able to bless her. If she doesn't, she's going to cut off the blessing of God. So this woman was down to her last meal, and God wanted her to give that last meal away before he could bless her. Said that she was down to her last meal, and God wanted her to give that last meal away before he was able to bless her. That's the Bible. Let's go to Mark 10, verse 17. We're going to the New Testament now. Let's read something that happened to Jesus. Mark 10, 17, NIV translation. I'd like you to see this in your own Bible. It's very important. All right. And Jesus started, uh, and Jesus started on his way, as Jesus started his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So this man comes and kneels before Jesus. Got that picture? Okay. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man wanted to be saved, right? I want eternal life. Verse 19. 
You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud that don't crook people out of their money. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So he tells Jesus, I've kept all those commandments. I haven't broken one of them. That's amazing. So here's a man telling God, I've kept all the commandments of the law since I was a boy. And Jesus could have said to him, no, that's not true. You broke these commandments. If he had done, that's what he would have said, but he didn't. So Jesus didn't say that. But there was something else that the man was not thinking about. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, just one, just one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So he asked this man to do what he asked the widow to do to Elijah. Exactly the same thing. All right, see, that little cake was nearly as much value as all this man's riches. But to that woman, it was everything she had. And this man, that was everything he had. You got it? It's the same test. Are you tracking me, church? Now, to go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, even though the man fulfilled all the requirements of the law, he could not have eternal life, there was one thing he lacked. He had to give before he could receive eternal life. Then he had to follow Jesus. He had to give. It seems like this man could not be saved without becoming a giver. Is that right? He could not be saved without becoming a giver. And Mark 10, 22. And this, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This man was sad. A sense of loss gripped him. The rich young man did not realize when you give to God, you don't lose your money. It is multiplied into your future. Multiplied into your future. You didn't understand that. Now, verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for a rich man to be saved. Now, coming from the one who saves us, that is quite an astounding statement. How hard it is for a rich man to be saved. Now, look at this, 24. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know a lot of rich people in this church and in Janesburg, and they are great givers. This does not apply to them, right? Great givers. But here we're talking about this man and his attitude and his not willing to give. So Jesus said, as hard as it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, I've told this story before, but just in case you haven't heard it, 
We've taken several tours to Israel through the years when we were in Johannesburg. And uh, on one of those tours, we're standing outside of, the, one of the, outside the wall of Jerusalem at one of the gates. And right next to this gate was a hole about three foot, three foot, six inches wide and about five feet high. And it had a round top to it. And uh, so the tour guide pointed to that hole right next to the gate and he said, that is called the eye of a needle. And he said, now, at night, they closed the gates and security uh, soldiers will stand at that hole on the inside with their weapons. And if an army invaded them, they'd have to come through there one at a time and so it'd be easy to attack them and stop them and kill them one at a time. That's what that's for, is to allow traders to come in and out of the city to trade after hours if they were late, something happened on the way, they couldn't get there on time. And it's called the eye of a needle because the person has to take all of his luggage or whatever he's trading off of his camel, carry it through that eye of the needle, go on the inside of the city wall, and then you have to take the reins of that camel, put the camel on its knees, think about that, and then the camel has to walk on its knees through that hole, then he has to load the stuff back on the camel when he gets through the hole. And it's not easy. He says it's hard, <laughs> it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it's for a rich person to get saved. Why? Because that problem that we've just read about, unfortunately, a lot of people who are rich have that problem. But as I said, I know a lot of people in the church who are wealthy and don't have that problem because they so and they understand the truth. So perhaps the Lord Jesus being a little unreasonable and telling this man, even though you've done everything else you need to do, you still cannot go to heaven until you become a giver. Giving is evidence of covenant participation. Say so that giving is evidence of covenant participation. When God asks me to do something, I do it. When I ask God to do something, He does it. That's covenant participation. That confirms that this rich young ruler was not prepared to give his life to Jesus. He was not willing to enter covenant with God. He was not willing to make Jesus Lord. He wanted to be saved, but he didn't want to make him Lord. Can't do that. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. By the way, if you kept reading that chapter uh, where we were reading, uh, Aki, don't, don't worry about that right now. Go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now he's talking about grace again. I'm going to talk to you about the grace given to the churches of Macedonia. You got it? Okay. Because in the midst of a very severe trial, he's talking about a financial trial, as you'll see in a minute. In the midst of a very severe financial trial, the overflowing joy and the extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. In spite of the fact that they were struggling financially, these people decided to become generous. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They decided we are going to sow financially. We're going to give to God's work the churches in Jerusalem who were also having a challenge at the time. They urgently pleaded with us. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, giving to God's people. So we urged Titus, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he's writing this to the church at Corinth. Now he's telling them, I want you to do what the churches in Macedonia have done. Watch this. To bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. It's interesting that you see the the word grace in connection with giving to God's work. Why is that? Well, because when somebody gets something for nothing, then it's it's God's grace in their life. You are the provider of that grace then when you do that. On the other hand, when you do that, you're opening up a grace of God and the favor of God in your own life. So it's grace for grace. Now, so giving is a ministry of grace and opens the door to God's grace in our lives. Verse 7. But since you excel in everything, you excel. Paul says you excel here in the church in Corinth. You excel in everything. You excel in faith, in speech. You're wise when you talk. In knowledge, in complete earnestness for God, and in the love we have kindled in you, so you're now walking in the love of God. So you've got everything in this church. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. It says, you're doing everything right. Now, make sure that you also excel in this grace of giving. Isn't that interesting? Praise God. Now, that's verse 7. We're not going to read verse 8 and 9 again, because we read verse 9 several times already. But he goes on to tell them then, he goes on to tell them that the grace of God, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So he actually tells them, the church there in Corinth, that because you're going to do this, the grace of God that he purchased for you on the cross for financial provision will flow in your lives. That's where, that's where that verse comes in. It's to them, and of course to us or anybody, that does what they did. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. I look for a place to land here. Malachi 3.8. God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, God says. You robbed me in tithes and offerings. You see, the thing is, we pay our tithes. We don't give that tithes. 
Now he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. What curse is that? Because the devil now can attack us. That's what that is. Verse 10. Bring as an act of your worship the full amount of your tithe, the whole tenth of your income, not the nine percent, the tenth, into the storehouse, the local church, that there may be food in my house. Spiritual ministry and preaching of God's word is the food he's talking about. And prove me now by doing this. Go ahead and put me to the test. Check me out, experiment with me, test me, give me an opportunity to prove myself, and you will see that I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven for you. What's that? That's abundant grace and favor. The floodgates are abundant grace and favor. In fact, that statement there was only used twice in the entire Bible. It's used once when God opened the floodgates of heaven to rain on the earth during Noah's time. And now again. And that rain covered the entire earth, that water. So God is saying, I'm going to flood you with grace and favor to prosper you. So this happens when we understand that we are walking in grace and favor. And we're going to talk about that as I close in a minute. And I will pour out on you so much blessing, financially and materially, that there will not be room enough to contain it. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will protect the source of your income. I will stop the devil stealing from you, and he will not destroy the fruit of your righteous labors. So where you work will be protected. You'll always make sure you have a source of income. And you will not fail to receive a fruitful harvest, says the Lord your God. All right, as I said, the curse is the open door through which the devil can attack us or anybody that doesn't tire. Now, let's look at a few principles found here in this portion of Scripture. <clears throat> First principle, number one, the word tired simply means tenth in English. That's a Hebrew word. God instructs us to bring the whole tenth of our income, not 9%. Number two, we should honor the Lord with his tithe before we pay any of our other accounts. Number three, when I tithe the tenth to God, I am actually working 10% of my time for God's kingdom, 10% of my talents for God's kingdom, 10% of my life for God's kingdom, 10% of my energy, all to further his kingdom. Number four, those who do not bring their tithes to, to the Lord hurt the Father. Those who do not bring their tithes to the Lord hurt the Father. It's like saying, I can't trust you to take care of me. Imagine saying to God, I can't trust you to take care of me. Or imagine saying that to your wife, I can't trust you. Imagine if I said to my wife, I can't trust you. She's gone with Candace to visit Natalie this weekend. She'll be back, tomorrow. She'll be back this afternoon. And um, Abilene. So, <clears throat> imagine I said to her, honey, I can't trust you. That would be a real problem for me. I wouldn't dare say anything like that. <laughs> now, that's why God said, return to me. How? By bringing my tithe to me. He didn't say pray harder, pray more. 
He said, bring my tithe. That's how you were. you're going to return. That's why Jesus said we pay our tithes in Matthew 23, 23. You know that? Jesus said we pay our tithes in Matthew 23, 23. Don't give them, pay them. The same thing in Hebrews 7, 9. It says we pay our tithes in Hebrews 7, 9. Because not ours. So this tithing is a debt I pay or owe. And giving is a seed I sow. You see, when I tithe 10%, then anything above that becomes a seed. Number five, God asks us to prove him and put him to the test. Number six, when the Father says he'll open the windows of heaven, he is saying, I'll pour out my grace and favor to prosper you. And the literal Hebrew, open the windows here, means to empty out all of heaven's resources necessary. To empty, that's what the Hebrew word means. To empty out all of heaven's resources necessary. So that when I tithe, God is willing to open up all of heaven's resources necessary. Number seven, he promises divine protection. Now if I can give God 10%, or say if I can't give God 10% of what he gives me, then how can I say, I've given my life to Jesus. Does that make sense? Do you know God wants you to give 10%? No, now he's asking too much. How can I start walking in the full covenant blessing of grace and favor if I can't tithe? How can I say I am? Could it be that some are afraid to tithe because they believe that the 10%, whether it's $500 or $1,000, whatever you earn a month and it's 10%, that that $500 can do more for them than the Lord can to meet their financial needs. And so they've got more faith in that $500 or $1,000 than they do in God. That's terrible. Their God can't do more than $500 worth? What kind of God are we serving? Are you out there, church? Do they have more faith in their money than they do in God? Does this not weaken their faith when it comes to trusting God in other areas? But for us who do believe and have given our lives to God in this covenant of grace, it is a joy for us to tithe to God for the abundance of for the for the advancement of his kingdom in the earth. Thus, lost souls can be saved. Confused and hurting people in this world need salvation more than ever. All right, so would you like to know what that confession was I gave that lady? Okay, write it down. I'll put it on the screen for you. This is what I said to her, and she wrote it down. Father, thank you for showing me where my new job is. Thank you for guiding me to it because of your grace and favor. Just that simple. You see, the confession was based on resting in his grace and favor. You got it? The confession was about resting in his grace and favor. That's the key. That's the key. It takes the stress out of me having to do anything. Thank you for showing me where my new job is. Thank you for guiding me to it because of your grace and favor. 
Now, I told her to say that several times a day, and then every time she said it, to say, praise God, I love you, Father, I worship you in Jesus' name. I told this woman to do that for several, seven days, and that uh, within that time, she'd get a new job. And I told you that, I, that she got a new job in five days for $10,000 a month. Now, remember this, she, she, she had... She had gone without work for eight months, this woman. No work, no salary, no money for eight months. And then within five days, she got a job. That's not an accident. Not an accident. That would not have worked for her if she were not a tither. It worked for her because she was a tither. And God knows exactly what you can do with your abilities and your talents. God knows you. He knows your abilities. He knows your talents. He knows what work you can do, what you can do, what you'll feel comfortable doing. He knows what's available for you in your neighborhood, in your area, your town. He knows what you'll enjoy doing. He knows the exact job that you need to bless you financially. And he knows where it is. Let's say this together. Father, I thank you for showing me how to increase my financial income because of your grace and favor on my life. Now, if you've got a business and you say that, then God's going to give you ideas to increase the income of your church, of your finances, of your, of your business, whatever it is. Say it again. Father, I thank you for showing me how to increase my financial income because of your grace and favor on my life. Then start listening to your heart. Just be attentive to your heart because a knowing will grow on the inside of you. A knowing. Be like somebody told you, go over there, there's a job for you. Or do this, you'll earn extra money. You'll think, who told me that? No one told you, just know it like somebody did tell you. And knowing will grow on the inside of you and what you need to do to increase your financial income somehow. Might be something you can do at home in your spare time. Might be a new job with, a new, with new money, with more money. We tithe and give offerings to God to further His kingdom. The main reason I tithe and give offerings is why? To further His kingdom. The second reason is for my own personal financial benefit. For my own personal financial benefit. You see, my income is dependent on my tithing and sowing. That's what determines God's favor and blessing in my life. And me resting in that, trusting Him. And I do that. And finances come to me from all over the world. Finances come to me. I'm very blessed, praise God. I'm debt-free, and this church is debt-free, and Janisburg is debt-free by trusting God. And throughout the years, my wife and I have been one of the biggest tithers in this church, one of the biggest tithers in Janisburg Church at the same time by trusting God. Amen?